Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 27. This morning we are going to jump right in and read the whole chapter. It is a short chapter. We'll read the first few verses of chapter 28 also. Before we back up and give context just what's going on in running up into this chapter and what's going on in David's life. So 1 Samuel 27. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hands. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servants dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Wherever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the uh, Jeremelites, say that word, I don't have a clue, or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would, say, David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever." Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardsmen forever. Literally, the keeper of my head. David's going to be a guardian of Achish and Achish's opinion. All right. How do you like that chapter? What do you think of David killing men and women? Not leaving anybody in the community alive. 
told you from the very beginning of this study in 1 Samuel, we'll also go through 2 Samuel, get into 1 Kings at least a little bit, that there would be multiple scenes that would make us uncomfortable. And this is one of those scenes that makes us uncomfortable for sure. So remember where we are in the text. David is pressing into a decade of being on the run from Saul as Saul has continually day by day hunted his life. We've seen Saul repent a couple of times. We did at the end of the last chapter that Saul is now turning away from hunting David. In the last chapter, last week, we spent a lot of time in, this is 26, verse like 18, 19. Let's look at 19. It says, now therefore, Please let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. This is David talking to Saul. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let God accept an offering from me. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. And why? Because they've they've driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. We spent a lot of time in this sentence last week, this whole idea from David's perspective as Saul is hunting him and those who are advising Saul to pursue and execute David so that Saul can protect his kingdom. Their behavior is driving David and the men who are following David out of the nation of Israel, out of the inheritance. And ultimately what David feels that they're communicating to him is, David, you are no longer welcome in the community of God's kids, you can go and go serve other gods. You have no place here among us. So as we sit in that kind of attitude, that helps us understand what David is saying in verse 1 of chapter 27, because David's got an internal conversation going on in his heart. How many of you have a safe heart when you talk to yourself? versus a dangerous heart when you're talking to yourself? Or are you a mixed bag? I hope you are a student of your own soul. I'm a student of my soul. I ask God to give me a self-awareness in regards to my thought processes. Some days I'm successful, other days I am not in regards to having self-control and things that are my triggers. But here David is having a conversation with himself. He is not talking to God. He is not seeking the counsel of anybody else. But his mind is churning in regards to his circumstances. Saul has been hunting him for almost a decade. And there's this hamster wheel, groundhog day kind of effect in David's life where Saul is once again telling David, David, I'm not going to pursue you anymore. I'm praying for you to be blessed. I know that you are going to do good things in the future. I know that you are going to endure in your role as king and in God's presence for all of your life. Does David believe those words of Saul? He's sitting in his heart. He knows Saul's historical behavior, and he doesn't believe that he is going to remain safe by remaining in Israel. Now, where David and his men have been, for the most part, they've remained in the tribal area of Judah as Saul has been hunting them. But David is having this conversation in my heart. I know for a fact that Saul is going to get me one day. Is that true? 
It's not true. David's having an internal conversation with himself, and he is believing the false words that he's telling himself that's going to happen in his future because he's uncomfortable. I titled this morning's message, The Final Stretch. One, it is Ziklag. This community is where David is when he hears about Saul's death. So when Saul dies, David is now elevated as king. So we have this last roughly year and a half of his life on the run before he becomes king. It's the final stretch to this major milestone in his life. At the same time, this last year and a half is that final stretch of God in David's life and in his soul. Do you think David is worn out? Do you make good decisions when you're worn out? Do you make bad decisions when you're worn out? Thin, stressed, discouraged, depressed? David's heart at the beginning of this chapter is not a safe place. Does that mean he's a sinner? Yeah, like you and me. But he's a man who has a heart that is pursuing the heart of God, right? That's the definition, overarching definition of David's life. This is one of the reasons why I love the Word of God, because it is brutally honest with the characters in the Word of God. One of the interpretation narratives of 1 Samuel is that it's somebody or a group of people in the future generation writing a document to justify the, the house of David being the established family authority, kingship authority over the nation of Israel. If that were a true idea, you would not have this chapter in the Word of God defining David's behavior here. Because it's not something that lifts him up to us, and it's not something that commends him before God. It's something that's going on in David's life that God has preserved for us. So you can see just how real these human beings are, how real God is, and how consistent God's behavior is towards each and every one of us. Most of the commentaries talk about this chapter, that this is a time in David's life where David was not singing. He wasn't writing psalms. We don't have any direct titles in the psalms that point to this period in David's life that, um, that he was crying out to God in this, in this season, in this year and a half. So do you think David was silent to God for a year and a half? Is that his character? Not at all. So just because we don't have a psalm that has a title from this time period in his life doesn't mean some of the psalms that we have authored by David were not written at this time in life. And at the same time, just because we don't have written record of a song in this season in his life doesn't mean that David was missing out on his communication. But this chapter begins with and highlights David is having a conversation internally. And the internal conversation, he is making emphatic statements. I am going to die if I stay here. And that statement's not true. Therefore, I need to escape. And where does David determine that he's going to escape to? The Philistines. So, it's kind of it's it's hard. Okay, church, we're having, we're having a bad time with the government of America. David's got 600 men. He has their wives, so let's double that. So you're now dealing with 1,200 souls. 
Now let's give them the average 2.3 children per household. You're talking 4,000 human beings. David's responsible for 4,000 souls. And in his own heart, in his own decision, he hasn't sought the Lord. He isn't seeking advice. He's saying, me and these 4,000, we're going to to the land of the Philistines. That would be like us saying, all right, church, we're sick of America. Let's go live in North Korea. Let's go, let's go take us to Afghanistan. Let's go take ourselves out of our community and out of our home and the safety net that that does provide for us. And let's go to the land that is defined as our enemies. That's the decision that David is making. It's not right. It's not logical. But he says, there is nothing better for me to do than to go to the land of the Philistines. True statement or not? How many times do you tell yourself every single day, there's nothing better for me in this circumstance to do that, and then later on that day, a couple weeks down the road, you realize that was the wrong decision. There was something better for me to do. What would have been better for David to do in that circumstance? Abiathar priest. He's with me. Let's, let's inquire of God. God, should I go to the land of the Philistines or should I stay here in the land of Judah and allow God to answer that question? But this is one of the things that I want to set before you. Every single one of us, we struggle in our hearts through the daily decisions that we need to make. We're processing through life with our personalities, with our circumstances. There are some decisions that we make every single day that it's not a conversation that we need to go talk to God about. God, should I have a piece of toast this morning or should I have an egg? Make your choice, right? You have that freedom. But when you start talking about major life decisions as a household, should we move here, yes or no? Should I take this job? Yes or no? Should I pursue this degree? Yes or no? Should I remain in this relationship? Yes or no? Should I pursue this relationship? Yes or no? There's a lot of subject matters and decisions that we make in our daily life as believers and in relationship with our God who has created us that we do not invite God's voice and his mind and his will into our decision-making process. Does this make sense? So again, the, the lesson, the application that we need to take out of David's life is one, David, there is something better than your thought processes. And the better in the moment for David would have been to have wait seek the Lord, and wait for the Lord's answers. And God might have told them, go ahead. Go to the land of the Philistines. So that's one. The other side of this is we get to sit in God's promises later on down the road to David. So when you sit in 2 Samuel 7, and this is a a conversation between God and David, it's absolutely awesome. But in that, God tells David, I have been with you wherever you went. That to me gives me a tremendous amount of peace in the decisions that I make every single day. There are some life decisions that I feel that I have made correctly according to the voice of God as I've sought him. There are other decisions that I make that impact other people that, you know what, I'm just sitting in my own head and my own heart and my own logic and I've made the wrong decision because I didn't wait on the Lord. 
Right now, Julie and I, we're in this transition. The boys are going back to college this afternoon. We are officially empty nesters tomorrow. Our daughter's married off. She has left and cleft to her husband, right? The boys are going to go off for the next semester until they come back uh, for the summer. So all of a sudden, because we have these major milestones that are finished in our household, we now have capacity. I was talking about this in the men's breakfast yesterday. I don't want to make the decisions of what I do with our new household capacity. I want God to direct that. What does that look like, Lord? What do you desire me to do and invest in and pursue in you as we continue to serve your people? Or do I need to just go, you know what, I got all this free time. Why don't I take a painting class and I'll go, you know, become a good artist? I can. I have that freedom in the Lord to make that kind of decision. But I have in my heart, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. I need your voice because I want your will. And I also know that as I pursue, as I have pursued God for the last 20 years, and he's given me the revelation even the 20 years before that, he has always been with me in my good decisions, in my bad decisions. He has never left me. He has never forsaken me. He has always been there with me. He has always protected. He has always provided. He has always cleansed. He has always redirected. He has always cleaned up my messes. He's always been there communicating. To me, that is, that is the overarching number one point to get out of what in the world is going on in David's life right now. He is thin and he is worn out. And in that, he is, in, whether it's intentional or not, he's not having the conversation with God and he's making his own decisions. And that decision is now infe- in, infecting, affecting not just the 600 men, but all of their households. So now they show up at Achish's doorstep in Gath with at least a thousand human beings, and the Philistines are hospitable. Why? The Philistines are constantly at war with the nation of Israel. They know exactly who David is. The last time that David was in Achish's presence, he pretended to be a madman, chapter 21. So now David has showed up with an army in his sanity, and Achish knows that he is the rival king to King Saul. So David, in this scenario, what he is doing, what he is presenting himself as, is a political refugee. He is fleeing from his king with his small army, and he, David, as he comes to Achish, David is presenting himself and all of his men to Achish as his servant. He never calls Achish Lord. He never calls Achish Master. But he says, I am here with my men to serve you. David, think about his heart. David said, there is nothing better for me to do than to take this group of people and go into enemy territory and make myself the willing servant of the enemy. That's how dumb our hearts are. It made sense in David's life at that moment. 
It was logical to him at that moment. It was the number one option in his list as he's reasoning in his own heart at that moment. And here they show up, and the enemy demonstrates hospitality. Come on in, David. I can use your services. So David and his men, they become mercenaries. These are soldiers for hire. Is Achish going to take on the household expense for these 600 men? Fat chance. Pay your dues. So in this, in the conversation, there's an agreement that happens, and then what does David ask Achish for? Give me a city. We don't need to remain here in your royal city and be a problem in this relationship. Give us a city far away in the country is what David asked for. So Achish gives to him Ziklag. So Ziklag, if, uh, if you have a study Bible or anything, it is towards the southern end of the nation of Israel, east of Gaza, down there, and what we consider to be the border of the nation of Israel and, and the Sinai Peninsula, and then down into Egypt. So what David and his men are doing is they set up shop in Ziklag. They're there for over a year and a half. They need to provide for their households. And what are we told that they do? David takes his men and his mercenaries. They go on raiding parties. Now, in this relationship with Achish, Achish thinks that David is taking his men to the east and that he's attacking cities of the tribes of Judah, of the tribe of Judah. So Achish's perspective in this year and a half that as David is going and attacking these communities, and then David comes back to Achish with the booty because he's paying his dues to his tributes to the man that he has made himself the servant of. David is communicating that I am attacking the nation of Israel, but what David is really doing is attacking the old ancient enemies of the nation of Israel. So when it comes to the Geshurites and when it comes to the Amalekites, very clear definitions of who they were historically. Now we have to sit in this question. David, as he is in this weird relationship with Achish, and to keep his behavior and his actions private, David is, we're told that that is his reason for executing men and women, the text doesn't tell us children, but of course the children of the community too, so that there is no voice to go back and inform and tattle on David what David is really doing. How do you like David? In what, chapter 25, right, where the whole story with Abigail and the ball and everything that's going there, uh, God uses Abigail to wake David up so that David would not be guilty of bloodshed for killing Nabal and killing Nabal's men, correct? So now we're told that Abigail's still here with David in this scene. So where's the good wife's voice in David's life? Hey, David, maybe you ought not to be killing these men, women, and children. Do you think she's saying that to David? She's not. Do you know why? Because David is not guilty of bloodshed when he kills these men, women, and children. What's the difference? What's the distinction? 
Does God make a distinction between one soul and another soul? Yes or no? He makes a distinction. And what's the singular distinction? Do you believe in my son and whom I have sent? It's the only distinction. I've never taken another human being's life. I would have great guilt and shame before God. In my environment, how I was raised, even if I was protecting my family and I took the life of another human being, that would be a really hard thing to process through. I understand men and women that are in our military that go to war and take the lives of other human beings. That's that's a powerful emotion to process through. But here we are told biblically that God had already placed these cultures outside of his kingdom. Now, is God merciful? Yeah. We're going to sit, we already sat in, uh, last week, Ahimelech was called Ahimelech the Hittite. We're going to sit in Uriah the Hittite. The Hittites are one of the cultures that God is, he's bringing the children of Israel into the land that he promised him. The Hittites are a group of people that God said to execute men, women, and children, to wipe them out for the purpose. These cultures, if they remain, they will they will cause you to leave me and go worship that which is false and that which is an idol they will cause you they will drive you they will force you away from i who am and have always been and you shall have no other gods before me if you do not exterminate them they will influence you away from me and that's exactly what these communities did So as David is attacking the Amalekites, remember, by Saul not zealously executing the command of God to execute the Amalekites, that action is what caused God to remove the kingdom from Saul and give it to David. Are you uncomfortable right now? I hope you are. It makes me uncomfortable. But it gives me the reality, too, that God does make a distinction in humanity. We are told that every single man, woman, every, every, anybody, man, woman, child, everybody that's been born, every single human being, being born, being given the gift of life, that you are placed under this ban. And it's the ban of sin. And what that sin brings about in our life is death. And death is defined as a separation. Death in the body is a physical separation of your spirit that has been given to you and your body. Spiritual death is defined as this eternal separation from the one who has created you, that you have been banned from his presence. So if David only goes into these communities and executes the men of these communities... Is that better if he doesn't kill the, the women and the children also? It's a really uncomfortable subject matter to sit in. We're talking about a culture that's 3,000 years old. We're talking about a culture and multiple cultures that are in this melting pot of the promised land. There's all different kinds of cultures that are there, and there's all different, these cultures represent 
this ultimate rebellion against God where God gave them centuries to turn from their sin and to turn to him is true. And what's awesome is that God sends his kids into the promised land. They are to be salt and light just as he sends us into this world to be salt and light mixing with those who are still under the ban from God's presence because the only way to enter in is through faith through Jesus Christ. I I have no doubt I was banned from the presence of God until that weekend at the weekend that I remember 23 years down the road where I had an instant invitation into his presence. And from that moment, I've had this incredible knowledge that he has not left me. He has not abandoned me, that he has always been with me. And in this chapter, again, we're sitting with David making decisions across the board that are extremely uncomfortable, that many of us would want to, David, by killing these individuals, by going into these communities, stealing their stuff, killing the men, killing the women, killing the children. David, that's wrong. David, man, your soul is getting stained. Your mind is getting stained. One of the things to point out in this passage is your current behavior. It influences your future behavior. When David commits adultery with Bathsheba, how did he determine was the best thing to do with Uriah to cover his sin? To kill him. David's behavior in this chapter, in chapter 27, the best way for me to cover what I am doing, whether God's in agreement with it or not, is to make sure that everybody dies so that Nobody can go and tell on Achish to me. So what David is doing is self-preservation. We're told that's the reason for his decision. So if he wasn't afraid of being tattled on, would he left the kids alive? Would he left the children alive? I don't know. But again, we see a current behavior in his life that influences future behavior in his life because he sees nothing better in this moment of this is what I need to do to protect and preserve myself. Now, is it dangerous? Is it dangerous to bring about your own salvation? Salvation means deliverance. It's you are, here's danger, and here's not danger, and I'm going to get myself from here to there. The constant communication to me out of the word of God is to always look to God to be your savior. I don't know how to get myself from danger to safety and holiness and purity and integrity and in love and kindness, grace, mercy. The only way I can get from danger to safety is through the divine power of God in my life. And you define what danger is. There is the danger of sin 
Huge danger. The only way that your life is cleansed is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is no self-deliverance out of sin, out of death, into life. That is the gospel. Through faith in Jesus Christ, there is your deliverance. How do, you, how do you deliver yourself out of the crisis of bad health? How do you get yourself out of the crisis of a damaged and dangerous relationship? There's, there's something wrong with this relationship. I did something and I need to bring about safety and reconciliation in that relationship. How do I get from the danger I've caused or the danger that somebody else has caused to true godly repentance and reconciliation? It only happens from me humbling myself before God and asking them the question. Coming to him, Luke, you're teaching through 1 John. How do you cleanse your way? You come to God in confession. God, this is what I did. I was wrong. I was irritable. I shouldn't have said that. I made the wrong decision. I'm coming to you in confession, and I'm asking you to cleanse me according to your righteousness, according to your faithfulness, with David, with all of my brothers and sisters throughout eternity. Lord, I'm asking you to wash me. I'm asking you to provide in this chest your heart because I need my heart to beat for you. Jesus tells me and he tells you out of this heart is what proceeds, what you think on. David, out of your heart in this moment, in this chapter, is what proceeded out of his mouth. This is where we're going, boys. This is what we're doing. This is the decision I've made. Follow me. How different would the, the, his actions have been had we have witnessed David throughout this chapter? Lord, do I go yes or no? Lord, do I attack the Amalekites? Yes or no? It would remove the question marks that we have as we read through this chapter in regards to what's going on in David's life if we had it recorded for us, David's prayer process but we don't have it. We have the definition that it's in his heart. So again, the interpretation is that David is just in this and what is proceeding out is what's in this. But I'm looking, God, I need deliverance from Saul. Do I stay? Do I go? All I know is, Lord, I trust you. I can look back. David can look back at his history in life and say, God, of course I trust you. You can look back on the history of your life, when you have sought the Lord, how he has provided, how he has directed. Do you have any reason not to trust your creator? And if any of you raised your hand, I'd want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation because I challenge that idea. He is trustworthy. It's a, it's a declaration of his character. In David's behavior with the men and the women that he is leading, we're going to see in a couple of chapters this, this uh, you know, this, the verse 28.3 there leaves off at a cliffhanger because it shifts into a different scene and we have to wait till chapter 29 to see is David really going to go to war against the nation of Israel with the Philistines? David, are you really that far gone? We got a cliffhanger to wait for this answer, but once we get into that answer, 
as David goes, the Amalekites that he's been attacking come up to Ziklag and they kidnap their wives and their children and they leave. So that when David and his men come back to Ziklag, their town is burned, their family is gone. And it says that they, these men cry till they are dry. They cry until they can't cry anymore for what has occurred in their life. What do you think those men wanted to do with David? They start talking about stoning David. And it's at that moment that it's recorded for us. David finally goes and inquires of the Lord, what do I do? The exhortation don't wait for the stones to be flying for what do you do it's having this short have short gaps in your life where it's just you and your heart make sure that you are on purpose intentionally having regular check-ins with the God who has created you and saved you and is transforming you We need this. We are told that we are to pray to God without ceasing. We are to never stop our communication with our King and with our Savior because it's dangerous. That's why we're commanded because if you're not in conversation, then that means that it's just you having a conversation. And it may not just be you. It may be you and the devil. It may be you and what the world is telling you to think. It may be you and a bunch of bad advisors giving you bad advice on what you ought to do in this circumstance. So final exhortation and, and application out of this is I hope you have a very clear definition for how do you know what God tells you to do. So when you come to God and you say, God, here's the scenario, here's the circumstance, and you are asking God for the question, for the answer, yes, no, wait for further information, right? Those are the three answers that God gives to us. How do you know that the decision that you are making is according to God's voice and his will for your life versus your own heart and your chest? How do you know? The words have escaped my mouth. God told me to do this. Now, that can be really abusive spiritual language. If God didn't tell me, and it's just been the thought process of my heart, and I think that the Holy Spirit is telling me to do this, therefore God told me to do this. So I'm communicating to you, thus saith the Lord to Blake, do this. David is going to inquire of the Lord, and he has a very specific way of hearing from the Lord, yes or no, that we're going to see in a couple of chapters. But I would challenge you in your own relationship with God to, I want you to know that you know that you are hearing in spirit and in truth the voice of God in your life according to his will and not according to your religious comfort 
Does that make sense? I can tell you right now, if you would write down what you were asking God and you make it clear, don't give God your encyclopedia, but if you are asking for a decision where you know that you need the will of God in your life, what do I do here? How do I fix this? Write it down. In that prayer and in that conversation with God, that very direct question, have some kind of regular way that you're processing through his word. We talked about this last week. Have you made a plan and a goal for how you're going to pursue God through his word every single day? Whether it's through this whole document in a year, maybe you got a whole bunch of time and you can do it in three months. Maybe you just have a specific goal. Again, I just I want to read the New Testament. What's your plan? What's your goal? Whatever your regular process is in engaging with the Lord. Maybe it's a solid devotional and you're listening to a great teacher and they're talking about these verses and you go and don't just read those verses. Read the whole context of the verses around the devotional that you may be processing through. But have a way that you are in prayer with God, that you're talking to him and that you're asking him questions and that you write these things down. Because if you don't write, you'll forget. Your heart will start lying to you about what you ask God so that you can justify what you think God's answer is. I guarantee 100% bold declaration in faith, God has promised to each and every human being, if you seek me, you will find me. You keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you through this document. And I would challenge you, and I challenge myself, don't move forward if you do not have the clear direction of God in the decision that you're asking him about. God, I need to have this conversation. Wait to have that conversation until God has given you the opportunity to have the conversation, the words that your heart is right and grounded, that you're still not all aggressive and irritated. Does this make sense? God will faithfully answer you and lead you every single day of your life. Now, he will also use the voices of your brothers and sisters. He'll use a commercial. He'll use a billboard. He'll use a beautiful, clear, crisp sky morning. He can use anything that he wants to speak to you and get your attention. The challenge is to make sure that as you are listening and as you're seeking from him, that it does really balance with this document. Is that what is this direction, Lord, that you were leading me in? This is what I'm hearing. Don't be afraid to say to God, God, I think that this is what you're saying. Would you please tell me again? Remember God's promise to David. David, I was with you wherever you went. I cared for you. I protected you. I delivered you. I fought for you. And I stretched you. And I'm stretching you to transform you. I'm, I'm stretching you to keep you in a position where you have to come to me with the question. Because if I'm not stretched, I've got all this figured out. It's easy, right? It's all the unknownness of, God, I love you. Worship team, come on up. Heavenly Father, out of, out of this chapter, it's, 
it's a snapshot of David's life that's, that's uncomfortable, Lord, and it's uncomfortable because it holds a mirror up to my own soul. I know what it's like to, to make decisions here at the church and in household and job and life and relationships. I know what it's like, Lord, to make repetitious decisions according to my own heart, my own logic, my own reasoning, my own wisdom, Lord, life experience. But I commit to you to turn away from myself and to turn away from the thoughts of my heart and to seek you for the smallest things in life, Lord. And it's not because... It is because I want you in every aspect of my life. I want to know you. I want to perform your will. There is peace. There is light. There is hope. There is wonder. There is excitement. There's joy. Lord, when, when I'm in step with you, it's beautiful. Even when the outside circumstances are extremely stretching. So through your word, Lord, we're asking that you would speak to us and lead us. Through your Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, that you dwell within us, that you have given to us your mind and your heart. You are there teaching us and helping us and leading us. Let us hear your voice, Holy Spirit, in all things. Jesus, as we process through all of these different relationships, as we're following you on the way, let us hear the voice of our Savior. May we recognize, Lord, the voice of the enemy, the voice of the world, the voice of our flesh. And above all, may your voice rise above all of those others, Lord, like the sound of mighty rushing water into our souls. We love you. We trust you. We turn away from all others as we follow you in this, in this wonderful journey. Can't wait to see you face to face, Lord. Fill us with your spirit as we worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.